0: Acts chapter 4, verse 32 says, All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the picture of what you are doing in this early church, that your grace was so powerfully upon the people, it motivated them in love to take care of one another, that it wasn't left to others, it was left up to the brothers and sisters that surrounded them. And so we pray this morning that we would have that same heart, We pray that we would have that same mind that's in Christ Jesus. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, I was thinking about, have you been in a place, a situation, a church, a home to where there was such grace, such um, love that everybody's needs were taken care of? How's that going for you at work? How's that going for you and your family? How's that going for you you know, in your marriage. How's that going for you right here at church? Pretty, you see this, uh, when we read these things, we see the reality of what God can do, and we see the gap of where we are. And it just kind of, it convicts us, it also helps us long for it, you know? I mean, I think in each one of us, we have needs. We have um, things that the Lord only can meet, and he meets it through the body. In this particular situation, people were coming to Christ, and as a result of coming to Christ, their families were kicking them out because they were leaving Judaism. They are saying, hey, you're on your own. Tough luck. Anybody had that experience? Good luck. You want to follow Jesus? Don't talk to me again. And that's what was going on a lot in this church. There were needs of widows and orphans and these things that were coming up. There were people within the church as they were gathering together. Needs were brought up. And well, how do, how do we take care of this? And it says that all the believers were in one heart and one mind. That means they were in one accord. They were in, they were in unity. And no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. I love that about in verse 32. Now, this doesn't mean that they were commanded to get rid of all their stuff. That they had to, that the apostles said, hey, you know, you got some land there, you better sell it. Well, fine. Okay, I'll do it, and here you go. It wasn't a tax. It wasn't a voluntary, I mean, it wasn't an involuntary action. It was... Something that flowed out of their hearts. There was a grace that was happening. They had received such mercy, such forgiveness, such provision from the Lord that they couldn't help. When they saw a brother or sister in need, they couldn't help but go, I've got to meet that. I, I'm compelled. The love of Christ compels me to help them out. The love of the Lord was so present that God was taking care of their needs. How would you like to be around that kind of community? How would you like to be that? And I see it happening here all the time. But as uh, Paul would say, we're we're to grow in that. We're to grow in the love of Jesus Christ. Now, there were those who abused the system later on. They wouldn't work, and they were getting a bunch of stuff. And so Paul had to address that and say, hey, if you don't work, you don't eat. So there was the balance of love and truth. But they just trusted the Lord in the matter. There wasn't a big political thing about it. They just said, you know what? There's a need. I'm going to sell my land. I'm going to give it. But there were problems with this, as we'll see in a minute. And it says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That is what exactly was, was the main thrust of what they were to be doing. It was all about testifying to the resurrection. It was all about that Jesus is alive. And the very fact that Jesus is alive and in me, he's showing it. How did, what did Jesus do when he saw people who were hurting on the earth? He had compassion on them. He had mercy upon them. Before, you know, before he went up, we saw miracle after miracle after miracle where he saw people were hungry after listening to him preach all day and they would starve and he would take and do miracles to provide for them. He cared about their physical needs. He cared about their spiritual needs. And this same heart that is in Christ Jesus, if he's truly in us, should be the same, shouldn't it? And that's expressed differently, obviously, to our different giftings. But that was the main thrust, verse 33. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy. So when people had nothing, uh, who had nothing had needs, those who had property sometimes time sold them and gave money to the apostles. And we're going to see in Acts 6 that there were needs being met through this. The widows were taken care of. We see that. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit the daily distribution of bread, but people sold lands, they gave money to the apostles for these ministries, which were an expression of God's love. And John, 1 John chapter 3 verse 17 through 18 says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister, this is talking about people uh, within the church, brothers and sisters, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, that has no pity on them, how can he say the love of God is in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words and speech, but with actions, actions and in truth. And we're given here two examples of people who sold their properties, but with two different motives. And so that's what we're going to kind of focus on this morning. There's this guy named Joseph. In verse 36 it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the feet of the apostles. And so the Spirit is going to compare and contrast these two different groups. You've got this one guy named Barnabas. And then you've got this other group, Ananias and Sapphira, in chapter 5. But the first here, the first example of this heart, this heart of worship, this heart of giving, this heart of compassion, is found here by a guy named Joseph, a Levite of, from Cyprus. And they gave him the nickname Barnabas. Anybody give you a nickname ever? And it kind of represents who you are. Anybody? How's that? (laughs) Like, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But these guys, they were hanging around so much, this guy was such an encouragement that they said, hey, you're Barnabas, you're son of encouragement, and you are amazing. We're going to read more about Barnabas' ministry later, but we see here at the beginning that Barnabas was an encourager. And sometimes we think that encouragement is just patting people on the back or, or talking to him or saying, hey, it'll be all right. But we see right here that he's actually helping people out by giving. And so this is a way that of, of encouragement in our body. Isn't it a great encouragement when you're in need? You know, you need help with your car, and someone actually gives their time, their ratchet, their energy, and goes and helps you fix it. I mean, what encouragement that is to your soul. You know, in this case, people... They needed possession. They needed clothes. They needed food. And so Barnabas, he did what he could. He saw he had land back in Cyprus where he's from. He sold it and he gave it. He saw the need for the ministry of the gospel to be blessed. And so he sold his property and gave it to the apostles to distribute. You know, we can greatly encourage people who are hurting, people who need a lift spiritually and materially when we out of response to the Spirit give give out of what God has given us you know money, time, help food spiritual gifting and encouragement in the word yeah (laughs) a phone call (laughs) that's okay (laughs) you know the word encouragement there it means to comfort it means to exhort and so it comes in different forms. And this guy Joseph, he lived in such a way. that The apostles they nicknamed him, "Hey, you're an encourager." How would you like to be nicknamed encourager? You know, or something that is just—it speaks to your character. It speaks to who you truly are. You know, God often changed people's names to reflect those things. You see that with Peter. He's like, "You're Peter." I mean, you're Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter. You're going to be the rock. You're going to be the rock of the church. Abraham, you were the father, you know, of of some, but now you're the father of nations. Abram to Abraham, Sarah to Sarai, these things. The Lord changes us. And so Jesus, looking into Peter's life, changed his, his, saw what he would be. And here we see the same thing with uh, Barnabas. And so in the context of giving with the motivation of encouragement, we see Barnabas as a good example. And now in chapter 5, A second example, it says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full of knowledge, she kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Peter being the main apostle here, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you had received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal, wasn't that all yours? Did we force you to do this? Did we? Have, no, wasn't it all yours? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he denied it. No, what happened? He fell down dead. And great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. And then some young men, they came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. Now, a couple of things here. The first is that the sin was not keeping some of the proceeds for himself. They could have kept all of it. That would have been fine. That wasn't the problem. That wasn't the problem. Peter says in verse 4, Hey... Didn't the land, the proceeds, didn't it belong to you? We didn't force you to do this. You know, this speaks a lot about the kind of giving the Lord loves. The kind of giving the Lord loves. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Paul says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And you know what that word cheerful is in the Greek, everybody? What is it? Hilarious. Open up your wallet. Ha! You know, it's you. (laughs) Ha ha, Lord, you're so good. Be blessed. Doesn't it just bless your heart when you see someone in need and you have the provisions and you just sit there and go, oh, I can't wait to see God that person be blessed and you go to them without anybody else knowing or some way and you just bless them you know i've had it happen to me a million times someone sees my hubcaps on the van of shame or you know and someone bought new hubcaps you know or whatever it might be you know i mean they just see a need and they they go you know what it's gonna bless that person look at they're out doing what the lord has called them to do Let's go take care of it. And I love that heart within people. And I see it here, people going through different stages of life, different troubles. Some people, you know, with surgery. Some people having kids and all this stuff. And how various people in the body with various giftings, they just come together and they see the need. And it's behind the seeds. And they just meet them with the love of God. Isn't that awesome? Don't you love that when it happens happens to you? God loves a hilarious, cheerful giver. That is the heart in which we're to be giving to the Lord, not out of compulsion, but something you've set aside in your heart. God, this is between me and you. This is what I'm doing. And that applies to, you know, the offering plates when they pass by. It applies to the people, the body of Christ, that you are interacting apart from Sunday mornings. Being the church, looking at needs and not having to go through us to get to them, but you, loving them. That is awesome. And it makes us happy too as, as elders when we see needs in the church because of things you've given to the Benevolent Fund and we're able to go ahead and go forward and, and help people at various times who are in need. It's a blessing. That's, that's you. or to be able to do things like bring Nick part-time on for the summer to invest into our kids and the youth. Steps of faith because of you. So the ministry of the Lord would go forward. The gospel would be preached to the kids. Things would go forward. I mean, it's just a blessing. And so the Lord loves that cheerful giver, and that word is hilarious. He loves the ha-giver, you know? So it wasn't that they kept some of the money for themselves. They could have kept it all for themselves. It was the heart in which they gave. It was the heart in which they gave. What was their motive? They gave not out of worship, out of joy, out of thankfulness, out of a response, out of just a desire to bless the Lord, to bless people, to bless the ministry. They didn't, that wasn't their motive. What was their motive? The sin was hypocrisy. That word hypocrisy, it's, you know, it comes from when they had the old uh, masks on sticks and there would be a, they'd, they'd be actors beneath the sticks. They'd have the stick and they'd have the face and the face could have a smiley face behind it. But on the inside, they could be frowning behind the mask. And the idea was that they'd portray someone. And this wasn't bad, you know, in acting, but it, they used that word to say what Christians should not be what the Pharisees were, what we all struggle with, what repels people from the church. Jesus hates hypocrisy. How many of us struggle with hypocrisy? Okay, if you don't raise your hands, then you're a hypocrite. (laughs) All right, now I know. I got two up, right? (laughs) You guys are toast, man. Okay, we just got to listen here a little bit more. It was hypocrisy. That's when we appear to be and to do what we appear to be and to do doesn't match who we truly are on the inside. It's for image. It's an image. And this world is all about image and branding and looking at the outside so that there can be an ulterior motive for something happening. Does that make sense? And that can be good, but it also can be very evil. Anybody? (laughs) Let's look at what we adore. Hollywood. We enjoy the hypocrites. I mean... Literally, that profession, that is what we are preoccupied with. People who put on masks, who have ulterior motives. People who, politicians. And I can go to pastors, I can go to whoever we are, you know, I mean, wherever you are. People who put on masks say that their motive is this when it's truly something else. Oh, I really care about the poor and the illegal immigrants and all that stuff. No, you don't. You care about votes. Both sides. Sorry, there's hypocrisy going on. No, I, I know some people are going to go, oh. But truly, if we look in our own hearts, each individual struggles with this, this outward shell. And the Lord would desire to make us the same inside as we are out. And that, that's a refining process, amen? Some of us, it's right away. Some of us, it's a little bit hard. But their sin was hypocrisy. This couple was making it appear that they they had given all for the right reasons. In reality, their motives were selfish. They cared more about what man thought, what the apostles thought, what the religious leaders thought of them and the church thought of them than what God thought of them. Does that make sense? Their giving was not out of worship and love towards God and the the furtherance of the gospel. That wasn't their primary concern. It might have been a secondary concern, but their primary concern was, oh, look at." What Barnabas did. Look at the accolades he received. Look at, they gave him a nickname. He's loved around here. He's adored. I want some of that. But what we're going to do is we're going to give the appearance that we did the same thing, but we really didn't. Does God care about the amount? He didn't care about the amount. They could have given a dollar. They could have given nothing. It was the heart in which they did it. They did it to appease man. It's possible that they saw Barnabas and others giving, and they just desired that. Satan filled them with deceit to devise their plan and to attain it. Notice this was a husband and wife thing. Husband and wives can often get on the same page and be deceitful together. It's really sad. They try to hide things from everybody else. I think we've all experienced that. So instead of being truthful, they were deceitful in their giving. They appeared to be giving all, but in reality they were holding back. And Peter points out that they thought they were lying to men, but in actuality they were lying to the Holy Spirit. You're not just lying to men, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because who are they giving to? To giving to God. Think we're fooling them? I think you, anything's. We can pull one on God. You think God can see right past through everything and know what's going on in our hearts and all our motives? Yeah, he does. The offering was towards God. When we give, who are we giving to? We might have someone in mind, but who are we ultimately giving to? We're giving to the Lord. We're honoring him. We're blessing him. They were lying to the Lord. Did God need their money? Does God need your money? Come on. You know what? There's like 10 of you. I know there's 10 of you in here that need to give $1,000. The Lord's put it on his heart. Come on now. Oh my gosh. Rightfully so. I've got this thick pulpit back here. You know what I mean? And people can manipulate people and try to do things. I just, it's disgusting. Peter points out that they were lying to God. And by the way, that that's a point. How can they lie to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit not be God? He says you've not lied. To, you've lied to the Spirit. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've not lied to men, but to God. They're equating the Holy Spirit to be God. Uh, you can go and check out our teachings on the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not an active force. He is God. But have you done this? Have you given in such a way so that people see it? Anyone given in such a way so people see it? Appear to be benevolent in spiritual, in the eyes of men? You know, Jesus taught his disciples, and he warned them about hypocrisy, specifically regarding the Pharisees who fasted and they tore their clothes so everyone could see that they were seeking God in the public place and who prayed long, loud prayers before men. Who then, When they gave, they threw their money in the coffers at the church so it would be loud so everybody could hear it. They left the check open when they put it in the plate. Anyone? So everyone could hear and see how much they gave and who ministered in the temple but passed by hurting people on the side of the road. Jesus said they were whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. There was an outward appearance of righteousness towards God, the appearance of being godly, but in their hearts they were dead. They were religious, church-going people, so to speak. They didn't pray in their closets. They did not pray in their closets. They prayed in front of everybody, and that's the danger for me is I can come up here and I can pray and I can read the word, but am I in the word alone? Am I on my knees by, my, by myself? Am I praying to the Lord when none of you are around? You go to church on Sundays, but what about the rest of the week? Where's your heart towards God, the hypocrisy? Are you living it out on Sunday morning as you are on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? You know what I'm just saying? Are those things connected? I think we all struggle with this, don't we? I do. You know? They didn't give in a way that their right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing. As Jesus told his disciples, be careful. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Do it in humility. Now, all they did was at, at the core of who they were was all about appearances, the approval of man. The approval of man. That is what they longed for. That is what they worshiped. That is what they adored. They desired to be, the Pharisees desired for you to be under this bondage and to look at them, look at me, let's say I'm a Pharisee, and say, hey, look at how I pray, look at how I give, look at how I teach, look at how I da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. da da you are not spiritual. You know, and they would go, oh my goodness. And so Jesus would come up with this thing and said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, by no means will you ever enter the kingdom of heaven. No, I mean, and these people are going, oh my gosh, look at how meticulously, look at the way they give, they give so much, look at the way they pray, look at all these things, and I could never, ever attain that. And that was the point. That those things did not bring the righteousness of God, Jesus did. They would have to be perfect, but the problem was they were wicked on the inside. And Jesus would talk to them in Matthew 5 through 7, and he'd say, you heard it said, don't look at a woman lustfully, but I tell you, if you even do it in your heart, you're guilty. It's not just an action thing, it's not an outward, it's an inward thing. God wants the truth in the inward parts all the way through. And that lays us all in a very dangerous place. Doesn't it? Needing grace, needing forgiveness, needing mercy, need to be born again, regenerated, need for God to live in us and change us from the inside out. To be different people. All he did was so that, okay, I'm doing this so that I will appease this person. When reality, what we do and who we are and how we give and how we love and singing songs on Sunday morning and playing the guitar and going to church on whenever we go, that's all to be because of what he's done. It comes from that heart relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he has changed me, I can't help but Go not for the approval of men. Jesus warned his disciples about that kind of life, the life that non-believers look at and the, the world would look at and, and just be repelled from. Instead of the true life found in Jesus where it was true and true, that is who they were. And here we are just a short time into the birth of the church and hypocrisy is creeping in. The vice of Satan and the Lord right off the bat, he does something drastic and he addresses it and he calls this couple out and he judges them right there in front of the whole church. I don't know how many people are there and the husband dies at the feet of Peter and we're going to see the wife does too. And it says, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And so God's using them as a warning. His people are to be holy it's, I mean, set apart. Our motives are to be pure. Our giving is to be out of love for the Lord, not a, not for the praise of man or a tax write-off. Not to say we can't take advantage of the tax write-off. I'm just saying, you know, that can't be our motive. God used Peter in his gifting to weed out Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, gift of knowledge, word of knowledge, didn't know what was going on in their lives. All of a sudden, the Lord goes, boom, that's what's going on. He says it. That's the Spirit uh, at work there in the church. That in, I, in a nice sense, if I were lying. and You know, something I really praise God for, I praise God that the elders and I, we don't know who gives what in the fellowship. Poor Carol. <laughs> But I mean, I praise God that we really generally don't, we don't know who gives what. Because that just takes, you know, the favoritism or the ability to praise man just out of the equation. I don't know. And so, praise the Lord. We can just love each other and pray for each other and be there. Amen? I tell you what, you know, if, you know, you put that check in the offering so Matt sees it, so that, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, you... You guys know I'm a fool, right? You guys don't, don't, you don't need to impress me. You need to impress the Lord. You need to be with the Lord and, and focus on him. So anyways, sadly, uh, this deception was both in the husband and wife. And so really quickly here, verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, hey, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Notice the Holy Spirit, God, and the Spirit of the Lord are all the same person. Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also, verse 10. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Verse 11, again, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events great fear sees the church. Three things I want to apply for this this morning. Three things. The first is you cannot hide things from God. You cannot hide things from God. He sees right through all of it. He knows your tax returns. He knows giving. He knows your motives for helping people out. He knows the whole thing. He sees right through it, all of it. You can't fool God. Psalm 139 says, you, uh, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise and you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me, beside, uh, me in beside and before and you lay, me, lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will will hold uh, me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not uh, be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. God sees through everything, no matter where you are, where you go, where you think you're hiding no matter what you do in secret, God sees right to the very core of who you are. In judgment day, that will all be revealed. Technicolor. In front of the whole world. So deal with it now. God sees right now. He wants to give you mercy and forgiveness and grace and change you from the inside now. Secondly, don't focus upon what people think of you. Don't, Live for the praise of men. There's nothing wrong with being a good employee and being a good husband and being a good, you know, we should. We should do that. But our motivation be, should be to please the Lord. It should be to please the Lord. That should be our number one idea. It's just, Lord, you. Because what's going to happen is we're going to come in contradiction with people around us. And it's either the Lord or this person sometimes, or a system, or whatever it might be. And you have to know in your heart of hearts, to be like a Daniel. That it's not going to be just about the king and serving the king here on earth. But when he comes and he says, you are not to pray, it's not about pleasing him. I'm sorry, I have to pray. I'm pleasing the Lord because I fear him. Don't fear man who can kill your body, but fear, fear the Lord who can kill your body and your soul and throw you into hell. That's what the scriptures teach. You, we fear the Lord. So don't fear man. The fear of man brings a trap. Live to please the Lord. We're really in need of the fear of the Lord in our church. And I'm not talking about, you know, you know, run away, but there should be this really, he is holy. This is New Testament, folks. This is New Testament. The Lord's calling us to holiness. He's calling us to be set apart from the world, not be engaged in all the darkness. He desires truth in the inward parts. You know, I wonder what would happen in our fellowship should the presence and the grace of God be so upon us as in those days. How many of us would be left standing? You know? So we've got to turn from lies. We've got to turn from hypocrisy and darkness. Root it out. Don't live with it. It brings death. So respond to the grace of God walk straight and narrow and the third application finally in closing is that this warning is a warning that the day I'm sorry that the Lord can bring us home early when we cease to be walking in the light the Lord could bring us home early when we cease to be walking in the light he has that option he has that option and my guess is that this couple was saved I have no reason to believe they weren't but it was not uncommon in the early church. And I believe today for the Lord to bring people home early who were not walking in the light, that's not always the case. People get sick and die. But I think there's, the Lord has this option. We can see it here in Acts, a couple who allowed Satan to fill their hearts with deceit, to bring hypocrisy into the church. And what happened? The Lord took care of it right there, and the result was fear. Whoa we better not go down that road. The Lord sees what's going on. 1 Corinthians, Paul exhorts the church in chapter 11 not to eat the Lord's supper in an unworthy manner. Verse 29 says, uh, for those who eat and drink the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, who, who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And that is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep, have died. And he goes on. We stop there, right? It goes on, what does it say? It says, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. It goes on, nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not finally be condemned with the world. Those are believers that God sent home early. So the Lord judges us sometimes when we are living in an unworthy way, disregarding the body of Christ, what that represents. In other words, uh, that he died, so we die. He lives, so we live. Allowing God to live when we're we're living contrary to that for an extended amount of time or whatever, I don't know. It's his prerogative. The Lord can bring us home and say, you know what? I'm going to bring sickness in your life, or I'm going to have you go home. It's not always the case. I don't want to say it's always, but he has that option. Why? So they would not finally be condemned. Another example, First Corinthians, again, chapter 5, verse 5 says, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved from the day of the Lord. There's a guy committing sexual immor- immorality in the church. He wouldn't repent. He wouldn't turn from it. He said, "Now I'm going to continue on in this lifestyle. And they said, okay, fine. You hand it over to Satan. They handed him out. They kicked him out of the church. And What happened? He started experiencing some serious stuff. But what's cool is in the second Corinthians he actually repented and came back. And they said, Come back. We love you. Some people say forget it. And they just continue down this road. I'm reading in first John right now, you want to have the assurance of the Lord? Walk in the light. You want to have the assurance that you're going to heaven? Run away from darkness. Get it out of your life. Me too. so there are times in the New Testament church that I believe now and now the brothers and sisters are no longer walking in the light and the Lord removes them. Up until this point the Holy Spirit has been doing what to the church? He's been adding to the church. And we all enjoy the adding part. How many of us enjoy the subtraction? But I tell you what blessing can come from God taking people out who are in the way. You know, I think it was Chuck Cooper who said this Thursday, you're, you're a witness. You're either a good one or you're a bad one. You're either part of the mission or you're in the way. Jesus said you're either warm, you know, you're lukewarm, or you're cold. I mean, he, he doesn't want lukewarm. He wants hot or cold. That's all he wants. He wants you all in or, or out. He wants your heart, all of it. And so you have to ask yourself this morning, what, what's in between you and the gospel of Jesus Christ? What's in between you and being what God's called you to be? You know, God made these points through different points in the church that were very important points. And I see it happening in the Old Testament. I see it when they were given the law and Aaron's sons were ordained and had, they went with the censers and they did this profane fire. They did it the way that God deci- said not to do. God tells us how we're to worship Him. We don't get to decide how to do that. He says He's to be worshipped in spirit and truth. He's to be worshipped and revered before the people. It's not to be nonchalant. So this guy goes and these guys go and they start swinging the censers, doing it wrong. Fire comes down from heaven, kills them. Very pivotal point in Israel's history. God makes a point I'm holy. David, the Philistines took the ark of the Lord. They there's a bunch of bad things happening there Philistines. They sent it back on a the cart. They wanted to bring it back into Jerusalem. They're having this great procession. The scriptures clearly say you can't put the ark on a cart. You got to put it on staves. Got to put it on poles. Walk it back on the on the on the back of the priests. They decided, "Oh, let's just keep it on the cart. It's cool. It's fashionable. Let's go." They start going, and what happens? It hits a rut, it starts to go over, and one guy, Uzziah, whatever his name is, puts his hand up to steady the cart. He dies. David was really upset about that. God made a point. Go into the New Testament. We see the same th- thing happening, a new movement of the Lord. I tell you, if God wants to do something here that's going to be exciting, there's going to be holiness that happens. You know what I mean? There's going to be some cleansing going on in my heart, your heart. We long for it. But be ready. We should be a people not dabbling in darkness. How many of you have some darkness to get rid of in your lives? Today's the day. Now is the hour to say, I'm done with it. Take me, Lord. No matter what you feel like, no matter what the consequences are, you move forward towards the Lord. You give it up. So no profane fires, no carts. No hypocrisy, but rather a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Verse 11 says that great fear seized the whole church and all who had heard about these events. And the effect upon the people, the effect upon the people, the people around, that there was like, wow, something is happening here. God is God. We want to see the Lord. You know, so often we try to reach our culture by being cool and hip. We try to reach our culture by being cool and hip, and I tell you what, I, I think there's some fun stuff in that, but we need to be holy. <laughs> just let Jesus live through us. Set apart. Not legalistic, but full of love, but set apart for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much this morning for this exhortation. Lord, help us to be Barnabases. Lord, just... Uh, Cleanse us, that our motives would be pure in our worship of you. Remove that deception that the enemy has placed in our, in our hearts to be like Ananias and Sapphira who desired the, to please men. Lord, would you do a work in the hearts of your people? Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are continuing to work in and through us. But we ask for more. We ask for less of us and more of you. Less of us and more of you. Empty us, Lord. Empty us of ourselves. Fill us with your spirit. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.